Voices serves as the megaphone for individuals who have endured transformational change. By highlighting trials and triumphs, our desire is to create a safe space for pivotal conversations, which in turn will deepen the story and provoke hope for you, our listeners. As you may know, change is never easy, but it is inevitable. You are not alone in what you're facing. Your transformation is possible, purposeful, and now. And here's Aaron Wiggum, founder and managing director of New You, with this week's guest. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of New Voices. We have an amazing guest with us today. This woman here has done some amazing things uh, in our community. She is truly a servant leader. She sits on several boards here in Tulsa and is a dancer extraordinaire. She leads several dance teams throughout the community. She is a hard worker. She, I see her all over the city uh, doing the thankless work uh, that no one usually loves to do. She, You will find her doing that. She is a graduate of the New You program. We're so happy uh, to have her go through the program and also be an advocate for it. She is a wife. She is an immigrant who migrated here from Mexico. And we're just so glad to have her and her impact here in the city of Tulsa. I bring to you none other than this amazing woman, Haziel Harriart. Tell us the Haziel Harriart story. Yes. So I was born and raised in Mexico mm-hmm. uh, in a city called Saltillo. It's the capital of the state of Coahuila, which is the state right underneath Texas. Okay. And I lived there um, most of my childhood. And I have an older brother. He's four years older than I am. And when he was in high school, He was the first family member to come to the U.S. uh, as an international student. Mm -hmm. So he really played a huge role in pulling me this direction as well. So I kind of blame him uh, for dragging all of our family eventually. And so, yes, that's how I ended up coming to the U.S. as a student back in 2004. Mm -hmm. I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. And and when you came, you where did you end up landing here, here in, uh, in the state? When I first came, I came to Tulsa because my brother initially went to Texas, Houston, but he fell in love with uh, my sister-in-law, who's from Owasso. Oh. And so that was the Oklahoma connection for him. And so when I decided to come, uh, we landed here in Tulsa. Understood. Wonderful. And how what was that transition like coming from Mexico? into Tulsa and into America? Like, what what was that transition? So I was a teenager. I was very excited about exploring just a total new adventure, new to me. Um, So there was a lot of nervousness and excitement. But once I got here, there was a lot of fear Mm -hmm. just because I was completely out of my comfort zone. You know, I didn't know the city. I didn't have any friends. I thought I knew English, but (laughs) my teachers and everyone, I just felt like they spoke too fast. And so most of the time I had no idea what was going on. Mm. So I, my personality changed a lot in Mexico. I was always uh, very outgoing, very extroverted. And here in the U.S., I, I became very introverted, mm. um, rarely spoke up. I was 
I became more observant and mm. more passive. All due to the language barrier or all, mostly. I think it was more of the culture shock. Okay. And also now in hindsight, I realized that I was experiencing a severe depression due to homesickness. Yeah. Because even though it was exciting being here as a teenager, I couldn't not focus on what I was missing right. back home. And, you know, all my friends, I went to the same school from pre-K all the way to ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And so being taken out of that environment at such a young age, it, it was hard. It was hard to cope. Yeah. 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 And so uh, you finished high school. Finished high school. And you then go to college? Yes. Okay. Yes. I decided to go to college in East Texas mm -hmm. uh, in a tiny college town called Nacogdoches, right. where Stephen F. Austin is located, uh, because my parents uh, had gotten jobs as teachers there. Nice. Yes, yeah, as Spanish teachers. And so the idea of being back with my parents really appealed to me, especially because I missed them a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, I spent my college years there studying political science, international relations. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that led you to... What type of career opportunities and how did you kind of evolve as a uh, as a professionally? Yes. So my dream job was always to work at an embassy or for like an international organization. But I quickly realized that it was a highly competitive mm -hmm. field. So I was at the point where I was just like, I need a job. I need to start paying bills. And that landed me in the nonprofit field, which is where... I have built my career yes. up until now. Yes. So let's talk about this nonprofit path pathway that mm -hmm. you have navigated. You 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 you're sit you sit on committees and boards, and um, I'll always see you in the community doing work in some way. Uh, I, I said it in my intro, but I mean, you you really roll up your sleeves and put your money where your mouth is and do this community work on a whole nother. But but first of all, what impassions you in that way to do that? And then let's talk a little bit about what those things are that you're doing, both nonprofit and community work. Yeah, I, I have a very natural tendency to give and to serve others because of my upbringing. My mom is like that. Like she'll meet a stranger, she'll see a need and she'll go out of her way to fill it. Yeah. And so growing up with that mentality of if you're able to help you do it mm -hmm. has really influenced me because I'm the same way. And it's one of those things where like, I don't even think about it, you know, mm -hmm. like it's just, it's very na a natural way of, of carrying myself. And yeah. I, and I, I enjoy it. I, I, it's hard for me to say that I get fulfillment out of it, but yeah, sometimes I, I receive a lot more than, than I give. Yeah. No, understood. And so your, your professional career with nonprofit and how, what, what was that pathway like? Yeah. So it was a huge surprise to me that you could build a career in the nonprofit field. And even to this day, people that aren't familiar with it, they just think that I'm a volunteer full time right. and that I don't get paid. I'm like, no, I mean, I will do it for free, but yeah, I do yeah. have to, you know, Pay make a living at yeah. some point. Yes. And so realizing that I could get paid while doing good mm -hmm. to me was just a dream come true. Wow. Yes. And I, the first nonprofit that I worked at is called SER, Sarah Jobs for Progress. And it was a workforce development agency that helped former justice related people that, um, justice involved people to go back into the workforce after they were released. Mm. And it just opened my mind to a lot of different backgrounds and people that were amazing. And I was just, i fell in love and I stuck with it. Nice. 
what what a way to like advocate for like redemption and advocate for like grace for individuals as they're coming back uh, into to you know it being crafted into society and you're creating those lanes for them to be able to do that. I want to pivot to because that's what we do at New Voices. We 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 have pivotal conversations about pivotal times in your life, right? And so, as you are working in these indus- this industry and you're helping individuals to get reacclimated back into society, let's talk a little bit about your pathway being uh, better acclimated to America and all the uh, r- the struggle. First of all, as a a, a Mexican now functioning in America. And then also, like once you were able to fully understand the opportunity, how you were able to leverage the opportunities to be able to position yourself more effectively. Yes. So my family being new to this country, there were a lot of things that I had to navigate, a lot of systems that I had to navigate on my own. Yeah. And really just you, you get you as an immigrant, you get used to this mindset of you just have to figure it out. Figure it out. Yes. Yep. Yep. And when you ask a question and the answer is no, it's like you can't just take the no. Like you be like, okay, not here. Let me, you know, find. So I became very much a problem solver mm-hmm. and very much a creative mm-hmm. thinker in terms of the way that I navigate the system. So I won't go into a lot of the immigration policies, but yeah. depending on the type of permit or visa that you have, Mm -hmm. if you're lucky enough to have one, there are limits and restrictions on what you're able to do and what you're not able to do and certain requirements. And so I came to this country as a student, which meant that I had to be in school full time, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I'm still working on my doctorate, forced, quote unquote, to be in school and at the same time have to figure out a way to live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've always worked full time. I've always studied full time. Um, but my jobs have always had to align with my studies. And so, you know, things that people don't realize, like having the freedom of choosing where to work. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm just now grappling with the fact that I'm able to do that. Yes. And so learning how to do that. Um, while also helping my family and and also helping the community. Like you said, I think a lot of my drive behind helping people is wishing someone had done it for me. Wow. So like if I can open a door for anyone that is experiencing similar situations yeah. than I am, then I'm I'm more than happy to do it. What is it what is an it that you wish someone would have done it for you? Oh wow. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> um, but really just resources like uh, in terms of like the college system, mm-hmm. like oh, that's a mess for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Unless you yes. can just write a check and just pay it, a, it's a mess for anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. But even like financial literacy, like the yeah. the way that credit scores work, and yeah. you know, I wasn't eligible for any loans or scholarships, and right. so you know, what do I do besides having four different jobs at the same time? And and even just I think talking about it because a lot of times we believe that we're the only ones going through it yeah. Uh, because people are not open about these struggles. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing my story because if, if I can find anyone that's also on that boat, like we can at least say we're in it together. That's like right. I've been there, you are going to overcome, you're going to make it through. Yeah. So. Give us a time that you went through a pivotal situation and you didn't know how you were going to make it through. You didn't know if you were going to make it through uh, may have cried a few nights and may have, you know, been overwhelmed. But 
on the other side, you're like, I made it through that. I can make it through this. What, what's, what's a pivotal moment that, you, that you've had? So a huge pivot point for me was when my employer attempted to sponsor me, mm-hmm. which meant um, they were helping me tra- uh, switch from a student visa to a work visa yep. that would allow me to not have to Is study full time. That's, uh, yes, yeah. H-1B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything seemed to be going well. And at the end of the process, it was not ex- it was not accepted. By I was rejected or by, by the U.S. government. By U.S. government. Yes. Okay. And so I received a letter in the mail saying you have 30 days to leave the country, oh. basically. <laughs> and um, what I didn't mention was that my brother at that point, he already had three kids mm. and it's just the two of us. So uh, I had I have three wonderful nieces and nephews mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm very involved. I, I love being part of their lives. And so it was a moment where I'm like, well, I can't go back. Like they right. need me. I'm helping them. I don't want to go back. Uh, and I decided to enroll back in school so that I can keep, keep my, my visa status yes. essentially. Okay. What I want you to go back real quick to when you opened that letter. All right. And tell us how you felt in that moment when you opened a letter that you, you may, maybe you've gone through this interview process. I'm going to imagine it's going to take, it took a few weeks to go through and then it took another few weeks for you to hear back from them, the outcome I'm imagining. Right. And then finally you go to your mailbox, you open this letter, you see, we regret to inform you. What, what, what was that moment like? What was going through your mind? What were you feeling? It was crushing. I think my, my very first moment or, or feeling was of unworthiness. Like mm. I felt rejected. Like I felt like, what could have I done to avoid this yeah. situation? So I definitely took it very personally. Mm-hmm. I felt rejected by a whole country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a country that I've invested so much in right. and that I've worked really hard to stay in. Yeah. I'm so, giving, I'm volunteering, yes, I'm doing my I'm trying to do I'm all going the to things. School, I'm di- and I'm it's doing, not enough. Not, none of it's not enough. Not enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how did you pick yourself up from there? I know you enrolled in school, but psychologically, how did you, what, what helped you turn that corner? So psychologically, and something that you touched on in me being involved in the community and engaged in the community, even though it was a crushing blow in my journey, I, I, I'm always hyper aware of other immigration situations. And mm. so I have close proximity to others that don't have the privilege of having a, a student visa that yes. aren't forced, quote, quote unquote, to continue their studies that work really hard and have other type of struggles because of their um, lack of immigration documents. And so Having that perspective really changes how you frame your own struggles. Yeah. So being able to deduce that someone else's situation is couldn't be worse or is worse than mine, it gave you the perspective you needed to like persevere through what you had to do. And I'm assuming it gave you, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, I'm assuming it gave you the understanding that if the worst thing I have to do is stay in school, then at least I'm building something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's realizing that it's a it's a privilege. Like my obstacle is a privilege to other people. I love the way you said that. Now say that again. Your obstacle 
it's a it's a privilege to other people. To other people. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. And so how do you double down on that same because that was in that moment, but now you're kind of living that same thing now to where you are helping people through the obstacle that is that has privilege in itself, right? And so h- how are you able in your current efforts to kind of double down on that that pivotal moment? So I think it requires a lot of self-reflection mm. and, and allowing yourself to take different perspectives and connecting with others. Yeah. And so I think talking about it is, is great. Connecting with other people is, is vital. And, and just realizing how different circumstances can be for different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we had our conversation previous to this, you had shared that how during that period of time, you had 20 years almost where you couldn't go back home because of status. And so talk about that. What does it feel like to not be, to see home, like, like Dorothy? I can see home, but I can't get there. What, 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 does, what does that feel like? So the thing that I would like to highlight that, in my opinion, does not get talked about is the the human aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So during those 20 years, my grandfather passed away. Mm. My great-grandmother passed away. My grandmother on my mom's side passed away. Mm. My best friend got married and I wasn't able to be there. And so not being able to attend weddings, not being able to attend funerals, mm-hmm. you know, aside from the, the emotional aspect of it, it psychologically really messes with your mind. (laughs) So last year when I was able to go back after 20 years, even though rationally I I understood that all these people were not gonna physically be there, there was a part of me that expected them to somebody to be there. Right. Yes. Yes. Grandma's always there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's just weird. It does something really weird to your emotions, to your spirit. And it's hard. Mm. It's hard to deal with those restrictions. Uh, when your heart is wants to be somewhere else. Wow, that's powerful. So you go through these 20 years and you get to this point in life where you are now. You have, uh, you know, your status here in the country and you're able, like you said, to work the job you want to work and, you know, you don't need all, all these other documents or whatever. And so talk about the mind shift from uh, doing things from a very restricted standpoint based on policy to now having a lot broader opportunities, a lot of broader opportunities based on your current status. Like what was the mind shift that had to happen there? And then how was uh, new you in any way instrumental in, in that, that, that mind shift? Yes. I will have to say that that is like the p- pivot in my That's life. That's the pivot right yes. there. Okay. And, and it, it's something that I'm still going through it, even yeah. though, you know, it's, it's been more than a year now. It's it's a major, major shift. Yeah. And knew you could not have come at a better time because I no remember... No stop, stop. <laughs> and Aaron did not pay me to say that. Um, but just realizing that, you know, my life as I know it has completely changed. Mm. That, like, I felt like the box was wide open and I it was really overwhelming mm. because, one, it was never a position that I thought I would find myself in. Wow. Um, and so realizing that this is my new reality now, it it was almost it was full of fear and over and and I was very overwhelmed. 
because it became, it, it felt like it was too much. Mm. And, and I, I, you almost get used to the restrictions and the limitations because right. this is like what I know and is familiar to me and I know how to navigate. And then all of a sudden when, when you're told like, oh yeah, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I get it rationally, like my mind knows it, but my body physically yeah. still does not know that. Yeah. And so I was still very much, it, it's toxic stress yeah. and it's trauma. It um, and it's something that doesn't happen overnight. But in terms of my mind, my my therapist has been very instrumental in helping me um, with some coping skills, with some affirmations yes. to like remind myself that I'm safe. Mm. Um, I have people that love me. Mm -hmm. My husband has been amazing helping me uh, overcome that mindset of it's almost like a, a protective like an armor situation yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's like, like I even have some other immigrants that caution me to not be outspoken about this mm. uh, because they're like, you know, you never know who you're going to uh, yeah, like yeah. rub the wrong way or, you know, and, and so it's overcoming those, those fears. It's, it's really hard. I think the more we do it, the, the better it becomes. Yeah. I think that it's challenging First of all, I want to give you full kudos for enduring. If we can get some claps in there at some point, Jesse. Total kudos for enduring this process. Doing it with a smile. Doing it with conviction. Doing it with a servant's heart. Doing it when you were tired of doing it. Like, total kudos to you for doing that. Um, because a lot of people would have given up they, or they would have gone home or they would have diverted in some way. But you stuck true to who you were or and who you are and doubled down on that. And so what I want to kind of do is, you know, let's talk about for a minute. How do you how did you hold on to hope when you're enduring all of this? Like you said, family members are passing away. You know, time is going on. You have family there that can't get here. You can't get there. Um, and then you can only go but so far here, right? How how did you hold on to hope? And how do you currently hold on to hope? Yeah, I think one one main thing that kept me going is definitely my parents' sacrifice. Mm. I mean, my dad, he is a chemical engineer. My mom's an accountant. They had thriving careers in Mexico and they left it all behind wow. because they they thought this country would give me and my brother better opportunities. And so that always kept me going, realizing that they wanted something better for me. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, keeping in touch with my friends in Mexico. And, you know, at the time it's better now, but my hometown was really affected by the drug war situation. Mm -hmm. And so it it was not safe. Right. And so just knowing that they made that happen for us was a huge pull for me. And so what message of hope would you give to our listeners? Like as you are thinking about your story and how you have persevered uh through a lot and also you've achieved a lot, right? Um and we'll talk about your dancing in a minute and and you know the ways that you're connected with the community. But what's, what message of hope would you give to the community um, based on your experiences? I think my, my main message would be, 
you are worthy, mm. regardless of what others uh, think of you or the limitations that that you have, and whether you know you're engaged or not. Like you are worthy, period, yeah. and you are enough, and um, you're not alone. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, you just mentioned engagement, and it may it prompted another question. So you're relatively newly married, right? 2020. Congratulations. Uh, COVID wedding, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. And so that means you were single for, you know, uh, you know, a nice single career, we'll say. What was that like navigating the whole documentation situation as well as as a single woman um, in a foreign country? I mean, we could have a whole other episode I just on that. that. I figured that. I said, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a point to there. To keep it short and sweet, you know, immigration lawyers would ask me, like, is there someone, you know, because even <laughs> though it, it's still tough, that is, like, just yes, it, that yeah. is one way to, you know, overcome or, you know, change your immigration status. And the answer for me was always no. Okay. Um, because I was not willing to engage in a marriage fraudulently yeah. uh, or just to just get, yes, just for the paper. sake of immigration. Yeah. And then also it was a thing. It yeah. When when it came up at dates, it, it scared some people away. Like sometimes right. that was the last you know time that I talked to them about really? it. Really? Yes. And also voter, voter registration. That was my number one website that I <laughs> visited okay. just because that gives me insight on where they stand on immigration. Got so. you. Okay. So you're mm-hmm. pre-screened. Pre-screening. I yes. got you. All right. Yeah. And so uh, now you got Give us a funny story about one of these, like, you know, one date and then disappear. Like, I, I, I need if you could just, just a, we need something to just like hold on to. Oh, there were many, um, but there was okay. The one that comes to mind. Don't say any names. No, we, we, no. we don't have insurance. <laughs> no identifiers. <laughs> no, um, like it, it was funny because in hindsight, I realized that they were really trying to pretend that they weren't the person that they yeah. were and like like they would like have woke speak and like mm-hmm. different terms but they really weren't about that life yes but yeah. like totally ghosted me yeah. and like yeah and then the funny thing though is that i bumped into them mm. <laughs> with my now current husband okay and totally pretended they did not know me at all so wow there you go. how about that yeah man We'll move on from there. But I know that there's a whole lot to that. We'll talk about that, Antoinette. Okay, very good. So we know that fear is a part of life. And you learned in New You that we channel fear, right? And we it's an energy that you have to just channel. You have to put it into something. What would you say, after all you've been through and, over, and overcome, what would you say is the next fear that you're you're ready and willing to tackle or maybe not fear but obstacle yeah. like I know it's there but I'm, I'm coming for it yeah I think because of all the different things that I had to navigate there was a lot of change mm-hmm. and so I'm at a point in my life where I crave stability mm. and I crave just like structure mm. and peace yep. but at the same time I'm realizing that it's it's the fear of change and also it can limit growth. Yes. And so sometimes I just like want to stay in my own little comfort zone. Like I know the familiar setting, but it's overcoming the fear of, yeah, growth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we know that fear, I mean, we know that change is a part of life. 
it's inevitable, right? And so if, if change is inevitable, that means that in order to grow, you have to change. You know, like, the, the, you know, you don't wear the same shoe size you wear at five. Hopefully not, right? And so be, because of that, um, a, a sign of me growing is change. And if, it's, if you're afraid of changing, then you're inhibiting growth. And that inhibition can be paralyzing. And it can be, uh, it, it can literally take life. It can take you from living to existing. Yes. Yeah. And if I can say a little bit more about fear. Sure. I'm, I'm learning my approach to fear. Okay. And looking at it as a sign that something big is happening. That's something good. major is happening. And not letting it paralyze me. So when I was finally able to go back to Mexico... I almost didn't want to because I was afraid of like, what if it doesn't feel like home? What if, you know, I I don't, I don't know. There were just so many things unknowns. Um, But after going through it, it, it's just a sign that there's, it's something big. And after you tackle it, you look back and you're like, that that wasn't as scary as I thought it would be, you know? So yeah, overcoming that paralyzation is is important. It's huge. And actually being able to take the thing that's paralyzing and turn it into anticipation. It's like, how do you anticipate this versus be paralyzed by it? I think that's powerful. So how can individuals reach you? What is the best way for uh, people to follow you on social? Uh, Sure. Yes. So I am reachable on all the platforms, mostly because of my dance yes. um, involvement. So uh, Latin Dance 918, mm-hmm. uh, Ritmo 918. Um, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on TikTok. Dance has been a great therapy tool for me okay. and a great escape uh, from all the the stress and, and struggles. So I highly recommend it. Let's talk about that a little bit. What uh, What types of dance do you do? And why is it so important to you? Yes. So Latin dancing, mostly salsa and bachata. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's important to me because coming to the U.S., people assumed that bachata and salsa are Mexican. Right. And they are not. They are not. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Yeah. And it sparked my curiosity of like, well, where is it from? And, you know, why don't I know the origins and roots of that? Right. And so I'll just say that if it wasn't for... Black culture, if it wasn't for African rhythms mm-hmm. and percussion, we would not have what is now salsa right. and bachata. bachata. And so mm-hmm. it's very deep for me. It's very uh, meaningful when you learn about the meanings of different movements mm-hmm. and just what it can do for people. So yeah. movement is very healing. Good. Anything you got coming up that they... Uh... Yes. So we are very fortunate to have found actual dance professionals Wonderful. from the Dominican Republic and from Colombia that live only two hours away from Tulsa. All right. And so they are willing to drive every week to teach us. And in March, we will be having a salsa series, a four-week salsa series. Okay. So um, you can register for it. It's going to be amazing. Dates? I highly, highly recommend it. So March 5th, it's the first Sunday. Okay. It's every Sunday in March. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be great. You know location? Fly loft. Fly loft. Oh, right here. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So, Haziel, this has been a wonderful time together. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening uh, and watching. Please follow us on our social media at Facebook, LinkedIn, and IG. We are New You Tulsa. 
And also, you can go to our website, newutulsa.com. We'll be happy to have you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of New Voices. Visit our website at www.newutulsa.com. That is N-E-W-U-Tulsa.com. Follow us on social media at New U Tulsa on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And a special thank you to our producer, Jesse Ulrich. If you're looking for self-improvement, join our free cohorts for personal and professional development opportunities. New U is a way for diverse talent to imagine, discover, and actualize a 2.0 version of yourself. Bring your future into focus. Music